Well, come on. If you love Jesus, why don't you make a little bit of noise up in this place this afternoon? <laughs> this is uh, this is so awesome to be in um, Colorado Springs at Desperation Conference 2015. Uh, this is a real honor and a real privilege for me. Uh, this conference has uh, been talked about uh, for many years in some of the circles that I'm a part of. And this is my first time getting to be here, and I'm already blown away. Come on, if you're having a good time, why don't you make a little bit of noise in this house? <laughs> Honestly, I've, I've been in church most of my life, but I've never quite been in a worship experience like that one. Can we just one more time give some honor to uh, Bethel Music? What an incredible, incredible gift they are to the church and to this conference. And uh, I just want to say a big thank you to the hosts of this conference and all of the men and the leaders that have uh, worked really hard to make this thing happen. Uh, Dave Perkins, man, heard so much about you for many years. So good to meet you. Dan, good to meet you. Brandon, the whole team. Can we just go ahead and say thank you to these guys for sacrificing and appreciate you guys. Well, I come from uh, Miami, Florida, and... Uh, are you guys from Miami? Oh, but thank you anyways. <laughs> let's talk. Let's, Cape Coral's here? We love you, Cape Coral. Let's talk afterwards, okay? Awkward. Um, part of a cool church there that we're planting right now in downtown Miami called Vu Church. And uh, it's exciting days. Uh, my wife, Dontree, who's not with me today, uh, we've been married. It'll be nine years, believe it or not, in August. Hello. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, she sends greetings from Miami. But uh, for the past, uh, I guess, eight years, I've been on staff with my parents at a cool church called Trinity Church, uh, really in the inner city of Miami. Are you guys from Trinity Church in Miami? Oh, Sorry. Let's talk after. Um, but uh, our church in Miami is really cool. It's uh, honestly, it's full of, it's inner city. It's urban, man. It's people from all different walks of life. You got ex-gang members, ex-strippers, ex-prostitutes, ex-drug addicts. Um, that's just the pastoral staff. It gets worse as you meet more people. And um, uh, about eight years ago, my wife and I, we started a young adult service called The Rendezvous that went from about 12 people to 1,200 people, and uh, every week, man, we're seeing people get saved, and it's out of that ministry that we're launching a brand new church in uh, downtown Miami, so we would love your prayers in this season as we step out in faith, and we're excited about what God is going to do. I'm one of these kind of people that actually believe that the best is still yet to come for the church, amen? Amen? And so uh, today, I'm going to preach from my heart, and uh, if you've got a Bible... Let me see all the Bibles in the house. Where's all the real Christians at? Paper, leather. Okay, a few of us. Let's see all the iPads and iPhones. Oh, sweet Jesus. Help them, help them, help them. I want to see you try to cast a demon out with an iPad. Mess around, pull up angry birds. That won't work, okay? T turn really quick to uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I got a message on my heart, and... Uh, you should know some stuff about me as I get started here. I don't come from the biggest church, and typically I don't preach with people behind me, but this is going to be a fun experience. But I do come from a loud and rowdy church. And uh, 
My church, they shout at you when you preach good, and they shout even louder at you when you preach bad, okay? And so today, I want you to tap into your inner Pentecostal, uh, wave your hanky, shout at the preacher person inside of you, okay? So, yep. Come on, you, 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 can, say, uh, you can say amen. Um, you can say I like that. You can say, you can say preach it, white boy. Um, that's what they say at my church back in Miami. So uh, on the count of three, just, just try one of those so I know I'm in the right place. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. This is a racist conference. <laughs> I want to introduce two of my really good friends that are here with me from Voo Church. David and Manny, can you guys stand up? Can you guys give these guys a big round of applause? They're with me from Miami. Just for the record, I'm offended for them, okay? So, both single, by the way. David's right now has a girlfriend, but he hasn't put a ring on her finger, so I think he's completely available. So if while I'm preaching, the Lord leads you to talk to either one of these guys, you've got to be over the age of 18, you have to love Jesus, and you need to have a job. That's the only qualifications, and you can talk to them. So, <clears throat> I love you guys. I'm going to preach my guts out, and I'm hoping that this is the right place, man. I'm not into cool atmospheres. I'm into the presence of God. And so uh, I, feel like, I feel like this afternoon we're going to hear from God, and God's going to move, and I'm giving you full permission to go there. Amen? Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. This is what the Bible says. A few verses to kind of frame out where we're going to be going. The Bible says in verse 41 of Mark's gospel that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Look at verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And I want to preach for a few moments this afternoon. Um, hopefully you're taking notes. Research shows us that 98% of people who take notes make it to heaven. So you need to have notes to get there. And um, it's not true. But if you are taking notes, uh, I want to preach for a few moments on this thought. The bulls and the bees. The bulls, B-U-L-L-S, and the bees, B-E-E-S. The bulls and the bees. And uh, let's believe that God's going to speak to us. Come on, let's pray one more time together. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here, Lord. Lord, we thank you that right now in this room, Lord, you're here. And today, Jesus, because you're here, we know that anything is possible. So Lord, I pray for everybody in this place, from the sinner to the saint and everyone in between, that you would begin to work in a marvelous way. 
Lord, I pray that as our time is finished, that we would stand in awe of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy. Today, Jesus, speak to us, change us, transform us. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And if you believe it, come on, all of God's people said? Come on, all of God's people said? Come on, if you love Jesus, somebody make some noise up in this house. (laughs) Shut up. Um, I'm kidding. I love you. I love you. Um, Have you ever... uh, have you ever met somebody? Have you ever met somebody? Have you ever met somebody so positive? I mean, so have you met somebody so positive that they kind of make you negative? You know what I'm talking about? Like so positive. I mean, I think everybody gets one of these people in their life. For me, in my life, it would have to be my dad. My dad is the most positive human being you have ever met. My dad was drinking Red Bull before Red Bull was created, okay? Like, he lives excited. You could be walking with my dad, fall into a hole. You're like, oh my goodness, we're in a hole. But dad's like, no, son, this is great. I'm like, dad, it's not great. We're in a hole. He's like, I know, son, this is great. We're in a hole together. I'm like, no, dad. Most positive human being ever. Remember when I was in the uh, seventh grade, I was trying out for the basketball team, and I was going out, and I'm a man of faith, and so I expected to make the varsity squad. I came home that afternoon to discover that I hadn't made the varsity squad, but rather I made the JV squad, and I came home so frustrated, so upset. I I was crying. I'm like, this is the worst day ever. I said, my dad said, Rich, why are you crying? I said, Dad... I made JV. I'll never forget my dad. My dad goes, Rich. (laughs) He goes, son, this is great. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, son, this is great. That team, they're going to be looking for a leader. And guess what? God is setting you up to be the leader of that team, son. Get ready. This is great. I was like, JV is great. I remember to our first practice. It was horrible. We were short and slow. (laughs) We were not athletic. We weren't ready to win any games. I came home and said, Dad, it's going to be a terrible season, man. We're short. We're slow. Nobody knows how to play. It's going to be a bad season. My dad said, oh, son. (laughs) This is great, Rich. Rich, don't you get it? This is going to be amazing. All the teams are going to think because you're short that you're going to be fast. But son, you're not fast. You're slow. This is great. I'm like, yeah, maybe this is great. Short, slow, JV, game one. We got beat so bad game one. Double digits, they destroyed us. Came home, I said, Dad, you lied to me, man. You told me this was going to be great. said, oh, son, this is great. It's not about how you start, son. It's about how you finish. Pick yourself up, son. This is great. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Game one. Doesn't matter. Let's go. Game two. We got beat worse in game two than we did in game one. I came and said, dad, this isn't going good, man. Game two. We got beat. He said, oh, son, don't you worry, man. The third time's a charm, buddy. 
I'm like, yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Game three, got beat again. I came home and said, Dad, three games in a row, we've gotten beat. This isn't going good. He said, son, this is great. Did I ever tell you the story about Michael Jordan that he was cut from his first basketball team? He said, son, I think you're going to be the next Michael Jordan. I'm like, maybe you're right, Dad. This is great. Thank you for reminding me of my weakness. Game four. We got beat again. There's only seven games in the season. (laughs) Game five. Dad, we've lost again. Son, this is great. Game six. Lost again. Dad says, son, this is great. Don't you understand? God is setting you up for a victory. Oh, son, seven. That's God's number, son. God's going to get the victory. God's going to get the glory. Oh, son, you watch. God's going to use this for his good. This is great. Game seven, last game of the season. We got beat. Worse in game seven than we did any other game. I, 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 I laid on the court with the ball and I wept. Have you ever cried so hard that you convinced yourself you have asthma? I came home mad. I said, Dad, you lied to me. We lost every game this season. My dad said, son, <laughs> this is great. Baseball season starts next, next season, son. I had a dad that taught me from a young age, no matter what life looked like, no matter what your circumstance felt like, no matter what your situation seemed like, he taught us that life is not about what happens to you, but rather life is about how you respond to what happens to you. My dad taught us that no matter how deep the hole seemed to be, guess what? Because of Jesus Christ, you can live on. If you believe it this afternoon, somebody give God a shout of praise all over this house. I want you to know, whoever you are, wherever you come from, no matter what your story looks like thus far, because of Jesus... You have the power to live on. You can can live on. You might be losing today, but there's a victory still in front of you. I love so much the story we discover in Mark chapter 12. It's It's a peculiar story. It's short, but it reminds me that things can be short and still be powerful. But it's this beautiful story about a poor, generous widow. None of those words should go together, but somehow they do because of Jesus. And the story is interesting. The Bible says that one day Jesus, he sits opposite of the crowd and he watches as the crowd comes by and puts their money into the treasury box or the offering container. The Bible says that Jesus, he stands opposite and he watches. And the first thing we discover is that Jesus is into watching people. Anybody like watching people? 
Look at you sick people. Oh, sick people right there. People watchers. I love people watching. Like, I'm addicted to it. My wife and I will go on a date. She'll be talking like my wife's from the South. She's like, Rich, Rich, you know, she's t- Rich, talk to me. Rich, talk to me, you know. And she'll be talking to me, and like, she'll be like, Rich, listen to me. Quit, quit paying attention over there. Because I'll be like totally enthralled with other people's conversations two tables down. I'm like solving people's problems. I'm like, no, don't do that, you know. Ah, he's cheating on you. Get out. You know, I, I just solving stuff. I love Jesus because Jesus, he's into people watching. I suppose the first question we have this afternoon is when Jesus is watching you, what does he see? See, when nobody is watching, Jesus is still watching. And I sure hope that after conferences like this one, after powerful worship and incredible preaching, I sure hope that we actually leave this place being better people of integrity, understanding that our character has to grow, not just only our talent. I sure hope that we're raising up a generation that understands that your character is the thing that's going to sustain you. I mean, there's no doubt, man, charisma gets the attention of man, but it's character that's always gotten the attention of God. And when, when Jesus, he's, he's watching you, what is it that he, that he sees? The Bible says that Jesus, he, he sits opposite of this crowd and he's just, he's watching this crowd. <laughs> Crowds are funny to me because Crowds are full of people, but not very many individuals. So what are you talking about? Well, crowds are fickle. One minute a crowd can be for you, but the next minute the crowd can be against you. Why? Because typically people get swallowed up in a crowd and they just do what everybody else is doing. Got a lot of people in 2015 that are just doing what the crowd is doing. The Bible says that Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem, everyone shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Just five days later, that same crowd is shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. As fast as they deified him was as fast as they crucified him. Why? Because you can't trust a crowd. And my question is, are you letting the crowd swallow up your voice? I love it because I think about that time when they're all shouting crucify him, and I wonder to myself, where are all the Jesus followers? Like the night that Jesus was on trial, where are the Christians? Like did they just not get the memo? Are they all on a Christian cruise together? Where are they? Are they all at a conference that Jesus didn't show up to? Hello? <laughs> where are they? I mean, everyone's shouting crucify him. Why isn't there at least one guy who's like, no. He's a nice guy. Like, like, where's the guy who's like, hey, 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 hey. Just hold on. Hold on for a second. Gotta be honest. I hear what you're saying, but I was at a party recently. And the party was kind of turning down, if you know what I mean. And Jesus showed up and said, turn down for what? And he turned water into wine and he reminded us, ain't no party like a Jesus Christ party because a Jesus Christ party don't stop. Like, where's the guy? He's like, no. 
don't kill him. He throws good parties. Like, where is he? Like, where, where's one guy? Like, wait a minute. Excuse me, excuse me. Wait a minute. Uh, one day we were all hanging out. It was like thousands of us. And man, we were hungry. And no one could find any food. Yes, Jesus did steal a Lunchable from a five-year-old. But multiplied it and fed us. We're all hungry. Don't kill him. He feeds us. I mean, like, something. One guy, wait. Yes, he spit in my face, but I was blind. Now I can see. Where are these people? Are they missing? Did they not get the memo? No, friends. I submit to you this afternoon that they were there, but they just let the crowd get louder than them. I'm wondering when a generation's going to rise up that understands, wow, if the world can get loud about sin, when can the church start getting loud about salvation? Is there anybody out there who's not ashamed of the gospel? Somebody take 10 seconds right now and give God some praise in this place. Come on, somebody. We need a generation to rise up who lives this life unashamed, man, unafraid, unapologetic of what Jesus has done. It's awesome we can shout in here, but can I be honest with you? The real test is, can you shout out there? See, here's the truth. I'm, 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 I'm going to get to my sermon in a moment, but I'm just having fun. The truth of the matter is, is that, is that Jesus, listen to me, he doesn't need to be defended. But he does need to be preached. Preached means to be proclaimed. Jesus doesn't need anyone defending him. He's fine defending himself. But he just needs people to tell others about him. Why? Because here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. This is going to be helpful for you. I've learned that whether people have a relationship with Jesus or not, they still have a perception of Jesus. Can I tell you what the world's perception most of the time of Jesus is? Here we go. It's that he's weak, irrelevant, and weird. Do you know why they think Jesus is weak, irrelevant, and weird? Because they have met so many weak, irrelevant, and weird Christians. Newsflash. You don't have to be creepy to be a Christian. Newsflash, you don't have to be condemning to be a Christian. All you got to do is say, I had an authentic encounter with Jesus. He changed me from the inside out. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm going to let my light shine in a lost and dark world. Is there anybody out there who's ready to come out of the crowd and lift up their voice? Give God some praise. Come on and praise him. Hear me. Whenever Jesus looks at a crowd, it's because he's always waiting for someone to come out of it. Come out of the crowd. Come out of the crowd. Come out of the crowd. Crowds are full of people, but not very many individuals. And when Jesus looks upon our crowds, do we ever step out? Jesus, he's, he's standing there opposite of the treasury box and he's watching these 
this crowd of people as they just go through the motions. The Bible says that he watches as many rich people come by and place large donations into the treasury box. Now, side note, this is going to be helpful. Um, this is not a story, and this text is not against rich people, and it's definitely not against large donations. In fact, we take both here at Desperation Conference. That, that's, that's not what's annoying Jesus. It's not what they're doing. It's not what they're giving, but rather it's how they're doing it. See, the whole thing with the gospel is that the gospel goes so much deeper than just your behavior. Jesus didn't come for behavior modification. He came for a heart transformation. So the gospel always wants to sink deep down into your motivation and into your intentions. These rich people as the text calls them, they're just going through the motions. There's nothing more scary about a church that's just going through the motions. Nothing more scary about a Christian who's just going through the motions, man. Oh, I know this church thing. I know Desperation Conference. Oh, yeah. About 45 minutes of worship, we're going to lift our hands, jump, shout, smile, laugh. A couple announcements here and there. Maybe a giving talk. Then a preacher's going to come up. I'm going to laugh, cry, shout, amen, come to the altar. Say I'm never going to be the same ever again. Go out those doors, and then I'm just back to normal. <laughs> Great day in church. It, no, it, it, it's, just these, it's just these motions, man. How many of you know... There's nothing more annoying than watching somebody worship for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> my church is cool. You would love my church. You're all invited. Hopefully you come. I've got a one-bedroom apartment. You're more than welcome to stay on my couch. Come. And um, I remember one this time this dude, like, he came up to me. He's like, he's like, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, Pastor Rich. Hey, 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 dog. I'm like, excuse me? Um, He's like, hey, man, <clears throat> hey, dog, I talked to you. I'm like, yo, what's up? Let's talk. He's like, yo, man, ah, man. He's like, yo, I've been serving hard, man. I've been serving hard at church. I'm like, is this prison? What are we talking about, you know? <laughs> serving hard? I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, man, I've been, ah, I've been serving hard all day, every day, serving hard. It's who I am. I'm like, okay, awesome. Is there a moral to this story? And He's like, yo, I, I've been serving hard. I'm like, cool. He's like, yo, but like I've been, I've been hollering at you know who. And like, man, even though I've been serving hard, she won't holler back. And I just looked at the guy and said, I said, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Have you been serving hard for Jesus? Or have you been serving hard to get the girl? Because what happens to us in church is sometimes we take a good thing and we make it a bad thing because the intention is wrong. Serving hard for what? Because you love Jesus or because you're hoping that Jesus is going to bless you with a gift? No. This is about Jesus. See, the reality of it is, is that when you start going through the motions, you start projecting something that you're not. And the moment you start projecting something that you're not, two things are going to happen. A, you're going to burn yourself out. And B, you're going to hurt a whole lot of people on the journey. Religion is all about your motivation. That's something we hear a lot in church, right? Like, oh, religion, that's a religious spirit. No, the only thing that's a religious spirit is when your motivation and your intention is wrong. Religion operates like a scoreboard. It's like, yo, when you do bad, you think you owe God. But the flip side is, when you do good, you think God owes you. Not true. 
not true at all. The gift is Jesus. The reward is Jesus. The goal is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Somebody can make some more noise for Jesus in this place. Anything on top of Jesus, man, that's just icing on the cake. Jesus is it. Yet I wonder how many times Jesus looks into our communities and into our crowds and he's looking for someone, but he can't, he can't find them. It's in this moment that this, this widow, she, she steps out of this crowd. The Bible says that as she steps out of the crowd, she takes two small copper coins, it's all that she has, and she, she places them into the treasury box. Now, just giving us a little bit of context, 2,000 years ago, being a woman is not the most exciting thing. They were oppressed, they were overlooked, they were isolated. Being a woman who's a widow was even a tougher thing because the reality of it was was that your title, um, your estate, your protection would have all come from a man. So if you lose your husband, now you're kind of on your own to fend for yourself. All of your money would be gone, you would be overlooked constantly, you would be oppressed, you would be segregated against many different times. I mean, it's a tough spot to be a widow. Now, she's not just a widow. The Bible gives us some more adjectives that she's a poor widow. This woman is in a tough spot. This woman has every excuse in the world to say, my life is over, it's done, I'm finished. Nobody notices her. Nobody sees her. Nobody ever applauds her. Yet on this day, it's this woman that catches the eye of Jesus. I hope you know today that no matter how bad your situation looks like, no matter how many people have bypassed you and overlooked you, I hope you know that you have a Savior today who is laser-focused on you. If his eye is on the sparrow, you can rest assured he's staring at you. The Bible says that this woman, she comes and she, she places two small copper coins into the treasury box. Theologians would tell us that these two small copper coins were some of the smallest amounts of money you could possibly have. In fact, if you were to equate it to your time of work, it, these two small copper coins would probably cost you about six minutes worth of work. Interesting to consider that society would say these two coins were only worth six minutes, where Jesus would say these coins and this act of generosity is worth immortality. This woman, she, she comes out of the crowd... She makes this decision. I, I don't know her story. We don't have enough about it, but I, I, can, I can think a little bit here that she, she gets past the crowd and everything that she's got, she, she places it into the container. And when she does, Jesus is amazed. He's amazed to the point that he grabs all of his disciples and says, hey, fellas, I want, I want to preach a sermon to you. Stop real quick. See that woman right there? That woman just gave more than all of these rich people. Because all of these rich people gave out of their wealth when this woman, she gave out of her poverty. Understand, life is not measured in the portion in which you give, but rather the proportion in which you give it. 
It's not the size that matters. It's the sacrifice that matters. This woman said, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to, I'm going to lay it all at Jesus' feet. My poverty won't stop my philanthropy. (laughs) My loss won't limit my investment. My lack won't stop me from giving back. I'm going to make a decision that even though I'm in my darkest moment, I can live on. I can live on. And if she could live on, it tells me that you and I could live on. You say, Rich, how do, I, how, do, how, do I, how, do I, how do I practically do this? How do I live on? I think this woman somewhere in her life, I don't know where it was, but I think at some point she decided that she was going to identify the thing that would stop her, and then she decided to stop it. Here's your handle in this session. I want you today to identify the thing that would stop you, and then I want you to stop it. I was, um, I was in Madrid, Spain about a year ago, and um, I was in Madrid with my wife, having a couple days to ourselves, and we got invited by some friends to go to a professional bullfight. Now, I'm not for bullfighting, I'm not advocating bullfighting, but I went, so therefore, judge me. And I went to this bullfight, and I just was not ready for what I experienced at the bullfight. My wife and I, we, we got there, and we sat down, probably in a, an arena of 10,000 people. Everyone's dressed up in suits, and everyone's just looking nice, and my wife and I, we, 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 we sat down, and then I watched in amazement what took place. All of a sudden, the gate doors were open, and this, this matador, he was dressed in all white, head to toe, and he walked out with all this style and just swag, you know, ha, ha, dun, da, walked out, ha, yeah, ha, ha. He's just, he's just, you know, he's just acting for the crowd, and everyone's cheering, yeah, the matador. He's like, ha, ha, waha. And all of a sudden, he gets in the center of the ring, and they open another set of gates, and a, a bull, a, a, a freaking bull, <laughs> comes out, like, I mean, full speed, okay? Like, full speed on a mission to kill this guy. And the man's like, ha-ha. And the bull, the bull charges, and the guy goes, and he misses him. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And literally, for the next 20 minutes, this, this matador with this cape begins to taunt a, a, a real bull. Not like a fake, it's not like a hologram, it's real. Ha ha, whoa, ha ha. Like messing with him, like ha ha. Turning his back to a ha Oh, ha, ha. I'm like, no, you did not just turn your back on that bull, you know? I mean, he's out there, you know, woo, woo, ha, la. Like just, I mean, it's, he's just going, right? Just dancing with the bull. And I'm sitting there like, you know, just, I, I need like an like a inhaler. I'm so nervous, you know? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 you know? I don't know him, but I'm interceding for him, you know? I mean, I'm a new covenant guy, but come on, let's get rid of these bulls. Get rid of sin, praise God. So anyways, um, he's dancing, you know. It's like, what in the world? He starts like, he starts like, like really t- like tapping the bull with a sword. Like, 
I don't know, guy. Like, really? A sword and a bull? Like, ugh. Messing with him. Bull's getting, bull's getting upset. So much so that after about 20 minutes, this bull had just about enough. And somehow, the two cosmos collided, and this bull ran right into this man. I mean, like, I've never seen, I, I, I've literally, hits this guy, hits him, goes over top of him. The guy goes underneath the bull. The bull treads over top of him. His shoes come off. His hat's over there. Literally, blood is streaming down his face. Blood all over his white satin outfit, you know. And I, I'm literally like in the seats. I, I watch this bull tackle this guy, and I panic, okay? I just panic. No! No! Oh, call security! I'm shutting this place down! We're done here! Get him out! And as I'm shouting, all of a sudden I hear my dad over my shoulder going, This is great! Come on, this is great! Now you know you can take a hit! Red's your best color, this is great! I'm like, is my dad in here, you know? Next to me, I'll never forget it, was this, was this old Spaniard, this old guy, three-piece suit, big cigar. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, no, get him out. So my wife's like, Rich, you don't really run this place. I'm like, I do now, you know. <laughs> this guy next to me goes, this is a true story, next to me goes, goes, goes oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't. I don't speak this. He goes, no, 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 no. I said, what? I said, what? He said, this is, he goes, the only way you leave the arena is on your back. I was like, that's the scariest thing anyone's ever said to me. I watched as this matador stood up to his feet, barefoot, no hat, covered in blood. They bring him his cape. He's like dizzy. And he stands right back in the center of the arena. And he looks back at the bull. And he starts to dance with the bull again. And I would say they went for another 20 minutes until he wore that bull down to the point that I'll never forget this moment looking at the scene. This matador is, he's, he's staring at this bull. This bull's no more than a foot away and they are eye to eye and the matador is just looking at him as if to say, hey, Mr. Bull, one of us is gonna leave this arena and it's not gonna be me. Some of you this afternoon, it's time for you to stop the bull. Do you know what fear is? It's a bunch of bull. Do you know what insecurity is? It's a bunch of bull. Do you know what unforgiveness is? It's a bunch of bull. 
Do you know what living your life not walking in purity is? It's a bunch of bull. Some of you this afternoon, it's time that you stop the bull. Hey, Mr. Bull, one of us is going to leave this place, but guess what? It's not going to be me. God has called me. God is for me, and the battle is the Lord. I am more than a conqueror. Somebody give God some praise. I don't think you know who you are. Your Bible doesn't call you a survivor. Your Bible calls you an overcomer. Oh, it's true. You might fall down every once in a while, but overcomers are never down. They're either up or they're getting back up. I wonder, is there any overcomers in the house this afternoon? Somebody give God some praise. Stop the bull. What's the thing in your life that as you walk out of these doors, you know is the thing that's going to stop you from living on? What's the temptation? What's the fear? Who's the person? What's the thing? What's the story? What's the headline? You look at it and say, it goes down today. I'm done with it. I'm burying it. A lot of people are good at killing their past, not always very good at burying their past. You can kill something, but if you leave it out, it's just going to fester. It's going to smell. It's going to stink up stuff. You need to bury that thing. This woman, I don't know, I don't know what her story is, but she decided, man, I'm not going to let anything prevent me from living on. I'm not going to let my current situation dictate my future destination. I'm going to live on. As the worship team goes back up here, I want, I want to read this to you because I think this woman... She gives us something so powerful. Keyboardist or something. You ever notice that keys make everything sound way more spiritual? I want you to see this. This is in your Bible. This is, this is amazing. I, I'm, like, what's, I'm like, yo, but Lord, like, what is the, what's the secret? Like, what do I tell them? H- how do they live on? Like, really, like, I know we got to stop the bull and, like, we got to come out of the crowd. But, like, Lord, how do we, how do we live on? Like the Lord showed me right here in verse 43, he says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, here it is, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's right there. Put in everything, all she had to live on. How do you live on? Put in everything. Like, I wish I had something deeper for you than that, but like, put it all in. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about something deeper than that. Put your whole heart into God's plan. Put all your desires into his hands. Jesus, you have all of me. There's no such thing as an almost Christian. Did Jesus almost go to the cross? No. I'm so glad he didn't almost resurrect. He kind of got one foot out. No. How, how do we live on in 2015? We have to raise up a generation who says, all of me is what you purchased off that cross. You live on by putting in everything. The secret to living on is saying, when I got nothing left, I'm, I'm going to give you all I got. I got nothing left. I'm just going, I'm going to give you what I got. Just two small copper coins. 
so that I can live on. I don't know, I'm a, I'm a gospel preacher, and so I kind of find the gospel in all the stories, and it's always there if you just open your eyes a little bit. This story sounds pretty familiar to another story. Because the truth of the matter is, is that this poor widow, she's just a foreshadow of what was to come, that Jesus is going to come. That Jesus was stripped of everything. <laughs> and Jesus walked amongst humanity and he put in everything so that you and I, we might live on. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the story. This is the greatest message ever told. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Do you know what you and I deserve? We deserve death. We deserve eternal death. But Jesus came and he died up on a cross. Understand, he didn't die for you. It's better than that. He died as you. And when he died as you, he got the consequence of all your sin, which was death. The wages of sin is, is death. See, I don't think we always understand the ramifications of what happened at the cross because it wasn't just Jesus who died on the cross. Something else died. Death died that day. Death died on a cross 2,015 years ago. Because of it, we can live on. I don't know what your situation looks like right now. I don't know what you're walking back into. I don't know what dream seems dashed. I don't know what plan seems delayed. I don't know who's speaking something in your ear. What I do know is what Jesus did 2015 years ago, it still holds power today. And because of his sacrifice, he declares over your life, you can live on. Some of you are going, yo, but I don't, I don't believe that, man. <laughs> I just don't believe it, Rich. That's a cool story about this woman. It's crazy, 2,000 years ago, later, this poor, generous widow, we're still talking about her. Her story is still living on. But you say, Rich, that's not my story. That can't happen like that for me. Reminds me of when I was, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade. My dad had gotten this or built this kind of woodshed fort in our front yard. And one day I was hanging out with my, <laughs> I was hanging out with my brothers and we were in this fort, we were playing around. And as we, as we started to exit the fort, all of a sudden we ran right into, right smack in the middle of this huge beehive. I mean, bees everywhere. Bzzz, bees just buzzing all around us, man. And I just start, bop, I start getting stung, bop, 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 you know. Like you can't really, it's like hard to fight a bee, you know. Like, ah, get off, you know. I'm like, bop, 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 bop. I'm just getting stung. And I finally got away and I got to my house and, man, I just, bees got me. I mean, I was all swollen up. My, my eye was out to here. People were like, man, did you get in a fight? I'm like, yeah. They're like, who? I'm like, this dude named Bee. I remember my mom she had to take me to the doctors because I was having this allergic reaction on my eye. My eye was like out to here because of these bee stings. I'll never forget, I got to the doctor's office. I'm sitting in the doctor's office. 
I'm sitting there, the doctor starts checking on me and he says, man, looks like you got in a pretty bad fight. I said, nah, I didn't get in a fight. I got, I got stung by a bee. He's like, well, the good news is you won. I was like, what? No, I didn't win. Look at my eye. I'm like all swollen up. I'm all beat up. I got bruises. I got scars. I got nicks. He said, no. He said, you won. I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, you do know that once the bee stings you, the bee dies. And although he's stung, he is dead. And some of you right now are in a situation and you feel like you're in a pit. You feel like you're in some darkness. But friend, I want to remind you, all that you're hearing right now are the bees buzzing. Maybe you're a parent in this place and you snuck in here because you're interceding for a 20-something who's running from God and you're saying, I don't think he's ever coming back. Oh, I want to remind you, you're just hearing some bees buzzing. Maybe you're a young person in here. One of your parents went to be with the Lord this year and you're going, God, why have you forsaken me? But I just want to tell you, all it is is a bunch of bees buzzing. Because the truth of the matter is, is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the final sting. That's why Jesus says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? All the devil can do is buzz. But friends, that's why the church ought to buzz back. We ought to praise God and we ought to worship God in the midst of adversity because we know today that we are more than conquerors, that greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. Jesus is for us. If you believe it, give God a shout of praise all over this house.